Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Confession time. I know I hide it well, but I'm a huge nerd. When it comes to technology and nonprofits, it's hard to out-nerd me. So I was stoked to add Beth Cantor and Allison Fine to the Nonstop Nonprofit podcast schedule. On the agenda, smart tech. But what is smart tech exactly? Smart tech refers to AI and other advanced digital technologies that make decisions for people. It's not a tech evolution, but a revolutionary shift in power away from people and towards tech. Beth and Allison, both well-known nonprofit consultants, trainers, and authors, have written a book called The Smart Nonprofit, Staying Human-Centered in an Automated World. And for all of you nonprofits wondering about the future, they've got answers to your questions about technology, specifically adoption, costs, ramifications, and the catalyst happening right now to launch us into an automated new world. So listen in and get a sneak preview of The Smart Nonprofit, complete with examples, guidance for nonprofit leaders, and a whole lot of nerding out. Let's dive in. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? <laughs> I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world. If you're going to be sustainable, you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story. And it snowballs like any peer-to-peer campaign. The more people that view this content, the further and further it grows. Then you're doing it wrong. That is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Nonstop Nonprofit. Excited for today's episode with Beth and Allison. Beth, Allison, how are you both doing today? Doing great. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you uh, both so much for spending time with us. I'm excited to dive in today's topic, uh, which is all about the future of, of giving uh, through smart tech. Before we explain that and, and dive a bit more into detail about that, I'd love it if, if both of you could just uh, introduce yourselves to our listeners and uh, share with us how you got involved in uh, the nonprofit community. Uh, sure. So this is Beth, and I have been working in the nonprofit sector my entire career for the last couple of decades. And, and most of the time I have spent in the nonprofit uh, tech space. Uh, both Allison and I had front row seats at the creation of this field. And I've worked primarily as a, a trainer and a facilitator, and I've written a couple of books. Um, my first book was with Allison, The Network Nonprofit, which was all about how social networks could transform nonprofits and fundraising. And I've also written a book on workplace well-being. So I you know, do work around those two topics and as a trainer and facilitator. And this is Allison. And uh, as Beth said, we have both been deeply involved in the field of tech for good for a very long time. I had a career previous to that in program evaluation. So very hard to out nerd me. 
<laughs> uh, the through line has, for me, in why I do this work, is always about uh, pushing power outwards from organizations to individuals and creating communities for social change. And we think this next chapter in smart tech continues that pathway. Amazing. And I think I'm going to give you a run for your money today about outnerding you. So we'll see. No, we'll see no. here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you both for uh, for those introductions. Excited to, to jump in. And Beth, maybe if, if you could uh, start, I, I read a recent article in the Harvard Business Review, how smart tech is transforming nonprofits and specifically the use of smart tech by social service agencies and other nonprofits is exploding during the pandemic. The question I have here is, how have you seen that evolve now that we're in a different stage, let's call it, of, of the pandemic? A great question, Justin. You know, I want to step back for a moment and just say, looking backwards over the last two years, I think we've witnessed maybe a decade of digital transformation. And, you know, many nonprofits and many that we've both worked with, you know, have these digital transformation you know, projects in their organization for many years. They're always on the back burner. But when the pandemic hit, they had no choice, right? It was about saving lives and delivering their services. So they had to move on things. And so we saw a lot of, you know, a, a lot of movement, a lot of speed in adopting technologies that we hadn't really seen in the past. A lot of the resistance melted away. What we'd like to see in this next phase is a more strategic thought around it and more reflection. Mm. Um, I think everyone was kind of in this uh, emergency mode. We've got to do something and just, you know, maybe an embraced technology tools without the critical thought and reflection uh, that's really required, especially with smart tools. I know, Allison, you want to pick it up from there? <laughs> well, what I could add to it, Justin, is our interest in this next chapter in tech. Uh, is this you know universe of technology that we call smart tech? So it's it's AI and it's robotics and it's machine learning and it's a whole set of technology that makes decisions for people and instead of people. And that is such a huge revolutionary shift in work. So yes, you know, orgs have been picking up on digital, picking up on you know working remotely. In addition, you know, adopting smart tech, as Beth said, very quickly, but the essence of this shift of now automating large parts of organizations that have never been automated before mm. presents both great upsides and great dangers for organizations. The, I mean, I think the upsides are are very clear, Allison, and and obviously could, could be discussed for some time. What, what what do we say some of the downsides are, or some of the concerns that organizations have or individuals have in this this evolution of of tech? I'll start with two in particular, and then I'm sure Beth can add to that. One is that the C-suite will see smart tech as an opportunity to cut staff. Mm. And we want them to see as an opportunity to relieve staff of rote tasks like answering the same questions all day or doing paperwork, you know, ad nauseum, and then allowing staff to do what people ought to do, which is build relationships, tell stories, plan, dream. So we want to see the bots do what bots are supposed to do, people do what they're supposed to do, and not have uh, the C suite just start chopping, you know, staff numbers across the board. The second piece, Justin, that's really important and is just huge is the opportunity in the development of smart tech, commercial tools in particular, 
where bias is being baked right into the tool, either through the code, through the assumptions that programmers are making in the code, or through grabbing historical data sets like in housing or any kind of social services that have racial and gender discrimination built right into it. You've now built bias into the tools. It's very hard to see. You know, smart mm. tech is running along in the background. It's not front and center. And all of a sudden you're screening out, say, you know, black people from housing services without even knowing it. And that kind of embedded bias in smart tech is an opportunity for an even wider gap in how services are, um, um, you know, distributed to people. Wow. Yeah, that's that's interesting. The sort of obviously danger here, right, as we think about creating a more equitable future and how how this can actually impact, have a negative impact you know, on, on an organization or an entire sector. So how do we prevent it? Or how do we know if it's, if it's happening in the first place? I'll, I'll talk about one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, so I think, um, and in the book, we have, we've devoted a whole chapter to this. And it's really, uh, we don't think it's really about grabbing software off the shelf to begin with. And that organizations really need to take a, a step back and really think about readiness. And when we talk about readiness, the beginning is to think about is this, are we, you know, what are the pain points in our organization and are we solving the right problem? And then from there, kind of like, what is the experience we're creating for that end user, whether that end user is a donor or whether it's, you know, staff members and really spending, leaning into that and spending time on that before we rush, you know, to the tools. And then the second piece is really understanding the tools themselves, especially those that are automated and trained on certain data sets, as Allison uh, was outlining the uh, potential for bias to really understand, you know, what bias is inherent in those data sets. And then also, um, what are the assumptions that were made around the algorithms that are making these decisions for us? You know, is it research-based? Who created these? You know, what what was their thinking around this? And really pushing back on on that with with vendors and doing uh, their due diligence. And then I think the third piece is like this pledge around doing no harm. You want to pull together an ethical advisory committee so that, you know, so that you aren't doing harm to the end users, and you're catching it (laughs) before you implement the technology. Now, sometimes that isn't always possible, and you need to begin to pilot some of these to actually see where you know, where there may be potential for harm or actual harm, and be able to mitigate that before it goes to scale. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Going back to the article here, you know, one of the one of the fascinating points uh, you both make as it relates to smart tech is this like basically this like force multiplier and specifically you guys reference this dividend of time. What what are some of the long-term expectations or ramifications of a series of automations that are giving back multiple dividends of time? And you know, I think one of the just to kind of expand on this a little bit you mentioned, uh, Allison, you know, that one of the negatives of, of something like this, you know, the C-suite would look at like eliminating staff. And it made me think about one of the examples in the article you, where you talked about, I think it was like a food bank uh, mm-hmm. that used robots to pack meals. And you might think, well, now we can replace the employees in, in that situation. Or to your point, how can we actually give more capacity to these individuals to do things that, you know, robots can't do? Um, so, so sorry, that was somewhat long-winded, but would love just to kind of dig in there. Any long-term expectations specifically that you, you both are excited about as, as we adopt more of this into our workflows? Well, I think that our greatest hope 
Justin, is that organizations will pivot from being, you know, focused on being transactional and efficient to being effective and, and relational. And, but that requires a deep introspective look at how you have been doing work uh, so far. So in the realm of fundraising, for instance, you know, Beth and I have sat on boards for many years. We've never heard anyone discuss the abysmal retention rate of donors, right? Hmm. After, after year one, it's at 25% of donors retained. After year five, you're down to 5%. And so what happens within fundraising uh, departments is this incredible pre- pressure to keep filling up the bucket. We call this the leaky bucket problem, right? Donors are yeah. falling out faster than they're coming in. So that's in part why you have this avalanche of fundraising emails, you know, asking you to give, 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 give. And, you know, and donors feel like ATM machines. What we would like to see organizations do is use smart tech to do some of the tasks that are taking up enormous amounts of time, like going through your own database and looking for prospects. You know, smart tech can do that, going out on the web and looking for prospects, doing the first draft of emails. And having your staff now become really chief relationship officers, getting to know donors deeply, asking them why the cause is important to them, asking them what it would take for them to reach out to their friends, uh, to be ambassadors for the cause. That's a really different model that requires people to really take the lead on not just identifying donors, but keeping them, which is the pathway to a much more sustainable uh, model. Absolutely. Prior to uh, starting fundraise, I spent uh, 12 years in the nonprofit sector, started a couple of nonprofit organizations. And the last one, which was a big inspiration for what we've built here at Fundraise, was we, we had a large donor base, up to about 100,000 donors that would give annually to the organization. And one of our challenges was identifying, you know, for specifically for like our major donor officers, the opportunity, because so much of our, of our fundraising actually happened online. And as, as you're aware, most people aren't giving at their capacity when they give online. It's usually a test donation or you know someone referred them and so forth. So one of the things we've done at Fundraise that's really enabled our customers, I, would, I, would, I think I'd put this under the smart tech sort of definition uh, that you guys have, is we've automated you know, different like demographic information about the donor uh, that's ex- uh, publicly available, wealth information, things of that nature. And it's, it's helped organizations prioritize the right donors or make the ask more relevant, right? right. Because you, you have more information about it. And so it sounds like that could, that could be in line uh, and uh, in, in more from a long-term perspective, I think. But it's, it is interesting. I mean, again, to go back to the potential negative ramifications of sort of the adoption of smart tech, I think the, the thing I think about often here is how will nonprofits look at this and optimize their team versus looking at it just as as cost savings altogether. Yeah, that's so important, Justin, what you're talking about. Two things, actually, sort of picking up, going back to the benefits. Uh, Allison laid out like a really great case around the sort of shift to being relational and building the relationships that's so often missing uh, because we're so immersed in busy work. And the second piece, which I think you were alluding to, was the uh, opportunity for us to really customize at scale the communication Mm. that we have with potential donors. So we could imagine maybe a 100% response rate, right? Mm -hmm. And really only targeting and getting the right message to the right people at the right time in order to uh, retain them. And this whole thing around, well, 
one of the things that Alice and I really want to fight back against is this whole efficiency model. Like AI is about automation is about efficiency. Well, yes, but it's not to be so efficient to keep you working and doing more and doing more, but to maybe reinvest that time into, you know, having, having a less toxic and stressful workplace, right? (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine maybe a four day work week, you know, Um, we've been so bad in the nonprofit sector about treating not treating our people well. And the the pandemic really shined a light on that. And so we really really need to stop that. And I think smart tech is one of the pieces, not alone. There's other things that need to change, but it's sort of one of the things that we can use to begin to turn that around. That makes makes total sense and totally agree. When I I think about efficiency, because I mean, this is definitely... Uh, when I was in the nonprofit space and, and, you know, it's still a very relevant conversation today. It's uh, a lot of times when we look at efficiency, you know, what, what a donor is, is asking is, you know, your overhead, overhead or, and uh, operating expense, like efficiencies and, and things of that nature. The thing I will say, what I think is important about an efficient organization is it's that it's, it leads to organizations that typically can provide more impact at a lower cost. And, that's not always, I don't think that's always the most important sort of metrics to take a look at, like you know, the cost per impact and things of that nature. But I do think there's something to be said when a well-optimized and efficient organization can generate just amazing impact at a, at a reasonable sort of, of cost. And I don't think that has necessarily has to be a, a negative thing, but in terms of the workload life balance, I think efficiency is what you were alluding to, Beth. I think that's incredibly important, right? I mean, I, when I think back about my 12 years in the nonprofit space, I, I remember most of them being 60, 70, 80 plus hour weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously that's not, that's not healthy. And so I like- well, it's not I def- even, and it, after studies show that after working in a, a work week of 55 hours a week, you are no more efficient if you worked 80 hours a week. So why not take that extra time and yeah. recharge your battery? And with the use of smart tech, you, you are saving all this time. So it's not like there's a loss of productivity or people aren't getting things done. Absolutely. So we all know we've been in the nonprofit space, you know, nonprofits typically aren't like the fastest adopters or the first to kind of pioneer a, a new technology. I think it's just the nature of the nonprofit. But we see, as, as you noted, Beth, we saw, you know, some, some big leaps forward, uh, you know, at, here at Fundraise, we just, we saw organizations take digital fundraising a lot more serious, you know, during the pandemic. And as we, as we're in this new season of the pandemic, it, it's it has stuck around, and so I'd be curious to to hear from your perspective. What what are some of the like lowest hanging fruits or the easiest automations that nonprofits could adopt, where they could they could see a pretty immediate sort of results as it re- relates back to their efficiency as an organization? Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, certainly, the fastest growing use of smart tech for organizations right now are chatbots, Justin. Right, that they are. You know, every organization is is able to modify it for their own use, and it can just save organizations enormous amount of time answering the same questions over and over again. You know, if, if for folks, if you haven't seen a chatbot, if you have been on a commercial site and it has, you know, a prompt that says we're here 24-7 uh, to, to chat with you, um, that's likely a chatbot, and it's programmed to answer you know, wrote questions over and again and send you to the organization if it can't answer a question. And we know, Justin, that organizations, particularly frontline workers, you know, admin workers, 
work in these cultures of constant interruption and it's very hard to actually get to the work. So anything like a chatbot that can be used to engage with the public, treat people well, answer those questions and allow staff to get on with more meaningful work would be an enormous benefit. And there's a great fundraising example. I love this one. It's uh, the Children's Hospital Network, Children's Miracle Hospital Network. And they do an online fundraiser um, and they have members both in Canada and the US. And they have really successfully used these fundraising chatbots that are there to answer quite basic questions to people at like 2 a.m. when they're ready to make that donation. <laughs> like what, like maybe a donor from Canada is on the site and saying, what, how much does this, does my donation transfer? or convert to in Canadian dollars, the bot can answer that question and then point them over to a landing page with donation levels in Canadian dollars. And that might happen at 2 a.m. when staff should be sleeping, right? Mm -hmm. The donor's ready to make that gift and the bot, which is sort of like an information concierge, you know, can answer that question and facilitate that donation. Do you see this posing any risk to the relational side of fundraising that, you know, using a bot for something like this could potentially turn a donor off yeah. or an organization yeah. may just find it not personalized enough. I mean, have you guys uh, seen anything like that happen or poorly see if they don't, we, we talked about readiness um, and there's a lot of sort of out of the box kind of bots you can use and they may not be really well designed. So, I mean, you can get an example of a flavor of this. If you go to any large organization's voicemail and it's poorly designed and you get trapped <laughs> and it's really <laughs> frustrating. And some of the sort of out of the box uh, authoring tools, if you just like click a button and really don't test it with the, you know, with the end user audience and really customize it. So it's the right voice. So they're giving the right information, understand what is the experience like for the end donor, then it could backfire on you. And that's, and that's why we make such a big deal about talking about readiness in the book. Justin, we, we define a smart nonprofit as an organization that is using smart tech by staying human centered mm-hmm. and they are knowledgeable and they're prepared. So, you know, on the front end, it does take some thinking, some real strategic thinking about, is this the right activity to automate? What is the impact, both internally and externally, of automating this function? And then after you've instituted it, how has this changed work? And how is it changing the engagement that we're having with people on the outside? So it's a constant, you know, effort of learning, and measuring and improving uh, over time. And we need organizations to understand just how much changes when technology is doing work that only people could do just a few years ago. Hmm. That's actually a great segue into a book that you both recently co-authored, The Smart Nonprofit, Staying Human-Centered in an Automated World. It sounds like just kind of from what you just shared there, there is going to be some some great guidance in, in the book how to stay human in this sort of era. So if, if you wouldn't mind, Beth, could you unpack a little bit of what a reader could expect from, from the book? Tell us a little bit about what you guys wrote, why you wrote it, uh, and how you hope it helps the nonprofit community. 
Sure. Well, first of all, I think like the first half of the book, we're trying to reach leaders, right? Because this is not necessarily a technical problem. It's a leadership problem. And it requires, you know, leaders to be really understand um, the potential for bias, to understand how to remain human centered. As we talked about earlier, it's not about like, you know, oh, the robots are going to take over and I can, you know, they'll work cheaper than my staff, if that's, <laughs> if that's even possible. So the first part of the book is really, you know, a look at what some of these leadership issues are, mm. the history of the field first, and then talking about what, do we, what is it that we mean by being human-centered? What is ethical and responsible use? And then what is the readiness process? The second half of the book gets into all the examples and gives all the color. So we take a deep dive into how is this technology being deployed for program delivery, for marketing, for advocacy, for fundraising, and, and the back office. And we kind of end with kind of a glimpse for the future. So it's a mix of speaking, you know, a, a primer for leaders in the organization. We don't expect leaders to know how to code, but to know enough about it to be able to lead and to, to really, you know, take up this opportunity that there is. And, and also to set organizations on the right path for effective adoption of these tools. On the readiness side of it, like how, how would an organization, so we, a lot of nonprofit leaders listen to this podcast. And so they might be asking, you know, is, is my nonprofit ready? Am I, am I ready? Can you maybe talk to us about that? How, how can someone identify as, as being ready or uh, what are some signals that maybe would indicate they're not ready for this process to kind of unfold at the organization? Well, we do have a whole chapter on it, Justin. It's okay. Ready, set, go. And the idea is to, you know, we walk groups through how to begin to put your, we want, you know, a lot of stakeholders involved in this decision-making. We want to spend some, you know, encourage them to spend some time identifying a very specific strategic use of smart tech. You know, we call this hot sauce, not ketchup. We want to be very sparing in how it's used, but it has to address an important pain point for the organization. And that takes some discussion. And then there's a vetting process for the vendors to make sure that they are values aligned with an organization, they are transparent, they are at least willing to tell an organization what assumptions they made in developing their product, how it was tested, what data sets they used for testing, and then a process for piloting and then scaling up uh, the use of smart tech. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for that, Allison. And, and uh, Justin, Beth has a terrific story of a rescue pet organization that did all of those steps and then had a surprise ending. But, well, Beth, it sounds like we need to hear <laughs> oh, about that surprise okay. ending. Uh, Allison, I thought you were going to uh, suggest the, the Trevor Project story. I guess I'll, I'll, oh, I'll share. Oh, which is great. Yes, I'll but share like the other one. Uh, yeah. I'll share. Okay. So the first one is the Trevor Project. And I'm sure you're familiar with the organization, Justin. They provide yep. counseling and services to LGBTQ youth, and they do have a, a crisis line. So so they were exploring, you know, how can we, uh, you know, use this technology? And so, you know, so if you would... On the surface, you could say, oh, you know, we could replace the counselors with bots, right? Now, that's not exactly being human-centered because the, you know, a bot can't possibly have the empathy and the nuance that, um, that counselors who are trained to deliver this very sensitive support to youth in crisis could do, no matter how good the tech is. Um, um, so, but one of the problems that they did have in the organization was that their counselors are, are volunteers and their volunteers are trained by staff and they had a huge demand for their services and they needed to scale the number of counselors. So the idea was, can we use the bot 
and it was a very sophisticated bot using natural language programming and it was self-learning. Can we use this bot, feed it information from these kinds of counseling conversations that happen and use it to just to train other counselors and to, and to do simulations. And of course, taking into precaution all of the data because, you know, anonymizing it. And, and also because it was self-learning and because there's a potential for, uh, for, uh, for this type of technology to actually be weaponized, uh, that they would only be used in very controlled circumstances. So, mm. so that's one example kind of with a happy ending. And another one is from an animal welfare organization, uh, Best Friends. And they wanted to deploy a chatbot that would help in a marketing campaign for black cats. And if you can imagine, <laughs> um, you know, where that could go awry with the words black and cat <laughs> and just unleash there, uh, you know, for anybody to converse with this bot. And in fact, Microsoft had a bad experience with that, uh, with, a, with a bot named Tay um, that was on Twitter. And the intent of Tay was to learn how to talk to young people. But of course, the trolls got a hold of it, and it learned how to be a misogynist, racist in less than 24 hours and had to be taken down. Wow. But back to the best friends. So they, they tried to mitigate any potential problem that might come up in interacting with this uh, black cat adoption bot. And it was so much work and it really wasn't possible. They scrapped the project rather than do hmm. harm. Wow. Yeah, wow. I thought that was very, very smart on their part to, you know, not not think of this as, uh, you know, all these sunk costs, but rather what was the smartest thing to do for the organization and the cause? Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. And yeah, as I'm just kind of thinking too, of my own sort of experience with bots across in different industries, you know, I think a, a good, and it sounds exactly like what best friends did here is a good pulse check on whether or not this is human centered is what's the sort of like end user experience going to be like, or feel like. I was uh, recently disputing a, a charge on my credit card and I was able to do it all through SMS. Uh, and on the other end was a bot, you know, basically asking the questions, me providing the information. And within a matter of like 10 minutes, the dispute was taken care of. It was a great experience for me, right? I mean, cause it was, it was fast. It was, it was, you know, friendly. I, you know, was able to accomplish what I, what I wanted to do. And so I think that that's, a, that's could be a, a way to determine whether or not something works for your organization is, is sort of how will the end user be impacted, whether it's negative or positive and, and go from there, which, which sounds like is a part of what that organization did with, with the black cat story. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the um, last question here is, so where can our listeners get a copy? Where can they buy this book? We'll definitely make sure to link it in the show notes, but please let us know the best place for our listeners to purchase this book. They can get it at any online bookstore. They can get it at their local independent bookstore, but also Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, just search for the smart nonprofit or come and visit Allison or myself's uh, websites. I'm at www.bethcantor.org and Allison is at allisonfine.com. Yeah. And Go we ahead. think also this makes a great gift, Justin, you know, maybe mm. somebody, maybe you're a donor or volunteer to an organization. This would be a really nice gift to give to somebody, you know, who works there, maybe somebody in the C-suite. We really hope people feel that this is something that they want to share as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just thinking about that for customers. As we think about our onboarding experience for fundraise customers, we, we service all nonprofits. This could be a great gift for onboarding to help organizations really think about smart tech and, and yeah. where it makes sense for them to get involved. 
Beth and Allison, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know you both are extremely busy, but we're excited to uh, share this wisdom with our listeners. And we know that it will uh, have a big impact. So thank you both for, for being on, on the show today. Our pleasure, Justin. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562-242-8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.